0: We hope you'll be blessed and inspired and challenged and motivated by this fresh word from Christian Heritage Church.
1: Today kicks off our our first Sunday of our week of Missions Conference Week. And we do have a special guest who I'll introduce in just a moment. Uh, That is Bill Schwartz, and his family is with us today, which is wonderful. Gretchen, his wife, and his children, Rachel and Ryan. But before I I introduce him, I want to personally invite you to return Wednesday night. We will have another guest um, missionary, Willard and Yvonne Wagner, who serve in Africa. And then the Wagners return, Bill Schwartz returns on Saturday. We do have um, a missionary from Haiti coming, Roger Johnson, Matt Bennett, who oversees people-to-people ministries, will be with us for our missions meal that you've seen advertised on the screen. It begins at 12 noon on Saturday, April 30th. We'd love to have you, and we'd love for you to register. It will help us prepare our food that lasts from 12 to 2 and it is free just come and enjoy it and yes you can bring friends even people that are not um, members of the church can come Um, and then on Sunday May 1st we have Matt Bennett returning to be our guest speaker now I want to introduce Bill Schwartz about eight years ago I had the privilege of going um, to Oklahoma to attend a passport for missions conference and he and uh, Bill and Rachel, uh, Gretchen, I always do that, <clears throat> were there attending for several weeks, and I was up there for a week um, to learn more about missions. And I have my luggage. You know, women, we have luggage, right? We've got luggage, not a little overnight kit. We have luggage, dragging it in into this old dormitory style thing, and they walk out, and we are introduced. Well, they help me get to my room, and I see these two bunk beds, and the lower one is sagging, and the upper one is, no way, Jose, am I going to get up there? And I think about, what is my back going to feel like after a week on this sagging mattress? So they move into action. They pull it off the bunk bed, throw it into the middle of the room, support it, get me underneath the fan, and I think we're good. <clears throat> and then... I walk into the closet and there are two hangers. Nice closet, and I look at my luggage. I know how many clothes I have in that piece of luggage because, ladies, we have to have options, right? We never know what the weather's gonna be like. We don't know if it's gonna be freezing in the room where we are. And I said, no way, <clears throat> two hangers. Well, Gretchen disappears, runs into her room, comes back with an armload. That's just the beginning of their hospitality. And when we went over to Belgium uh, in 2014, we saw that multiplied. Their hospitality was phenomenal. They included our mission team into their lives. They got up early to take us places. They stayed up late showing us things. They invited us into their apartment. Their children were very accommodating. You know, sometimes teenagers can just go do their thing. Not, not Rachel and Ryan. They were right there with us. They were at the dinner table with us. They shared their lives with us. And then we saw the phenomenal ministry that this family has over in Brussels and Antwerp and all around Belgium. So it's with great honor and pleasure that I introduce Bill Schwartz.
2: Thank you for that introduction. And uh, how many of you know when people introduce you, they're always more kind than you actually are? (laughs) So uh, it's hard to believe it's been eight years ago, though. And it's been eight years since we've, uh, a little over eight years, close to 10 years since we've joined uh, this great World Missions family that we have, that we're a part of, and that this church supports. And we're so thankful for that. Although we've been serving in missions for 14 years and uh, grateful for all that God is doing. And I want to share a few things with you guys in a few moments. Uh, But before I do, just let me extend a great thank you to this great church and the support that you guys uh, give us every month financially. And we know that you're praying for us. And how many of you guys have been praying for the situation in Brussels? I'm sure you've seen things on the news. Um, Anne will tell you because she's been there. The team that was with her will tell you we live very close to the airport. In fact, from my terrace of my home... Uh, We can see the flight tower to the airport. We often see planes that are landing. And the metro station uh, that was attacked as well is is not far from where we live, uh, probably around 15 to 20 minutes. However, it's used every day by people in our church. And our coffee house is very, very close to uh, the location of that. And I want you to know, regardless of what's happening in the world through terrorism, Jesus is still alive. And... uh, We we had some very, very close calls. If anything, it's just reassured us that that God is protecting us in his hand. And uh, we we had a young couple that was at the airport right when the explosions happened. They pulled up just moments after the explosion, and people were running out. In fact, not to say it was funny, but it was a little bit comical because uh, it's a young couple that are training for ministry. They were heading to Ireland to do ministry for a week, and uh, they were running behind, and and uh, Grace, the young lady, told her fiancé, you're making us late, you're making us late. Uh, they arrived ten minutes later than they wanted to, so if they were there at the time they expected, they would have been right in the airport at the moment of uh, the explosions. Our assistant was, um, was only minutes away from uh, the, the train uh, that had the explosion. She takes that route every day to work. Um, she works for us in her office, and uh, we're just so thankful that they were protected. We had a young Bible school student that was in... Uh, the uh, airport at the time and the explosions as well. And we had a young, great couple. How many of you know God will put believers in the right place at the right time? Amen? Amen. We had a wonderful couple in our church that worked for the Red Cross. They were the first responders, the very first ones on the scene. And they were able to minister to people. And even though they're working for the Red Cross, they were able to pray with people and encourage them. And so we're we're grateful that I can report to you that out of our whole network of churches, not a single person was physically wounded, uh, and our prayers are definitely with everyone else. Uh, But I also want you to go ahead and give the right hand for that. I also want you to know as well, there seems to be a great uniting among us in churches, that we need the only answer to all of this hate, and all of this stuff that is happening through terrorist attacks around the world, is for people to come to know Jesus. How many of you guys believe that? Amen? And so we just had, uh, there was a big prayer rally while we've been here, Uh, in brussels uh in fact i can't think of the brother's name but it's a famous evangelist here in in the states went over and led that time of prayer and some doors have opened up to muslim people uh who are now becoming very tired of uh their religion um being accused of well being uh, uh making all of these attacks and so they're actually questioning their faith and how many believe that's a great door for us as well to talk to people amen so i just want you to know that uh We also just have a great love and appreciation for your pastors. How many of you guys love your pastors here at CHC? Amen. And uh, Pastor, thank you so much for allowing us to come. Uh, If you can put the first slide up, I'm just going to give you a quick uh, update, and then we're going to get into the Word a little bit. Uh, But this is my beautiful family. How many of you know I am one very blessed man? (laughs) Amen. Oh, you need a You need to shout a little louder than that, all right? I'm a very blessed man. Uh, they they absolutely hate this when I do this, and, and I'm sure that my kids, when they go see a psychologist, are going to complain about these type of things growing up. But if my family would just stand up and turn around and give them the the wave, come on, guys! It's, it's, it's... <laughs> You guys need to pray for me because uh, we're here in the States for eight weeks. This is the longest we've ever been away from Belgium as a whole uh, in the last five years. Um, We we went back on this term in 2011. But as we go back to Belgium, I'm going without one of my children. My daughter is graduating high school and she begins an internship on the first week of June. So you can pray for this daddy right here hallelujah. Let's pray for this daddy (laughs) right here. She will be back with us in in August for a couple months and then she goes to university uh, in January. So uh, I will tell you that my family, my entire family, my kids as well, we're all involved in ministry. My son Ryan, he works in our media and our setup teams. Uh, my daughter Rachel, you know, she's got a lot of her dad in her, a lot of leadership. So she serves in our Cafe team, which I'll show you in a moment. She also serves in our Converge team, and she's one of our, our uh, uh, singers in our worship team. And so I'm so grateful that I have kids that want to serve Jesus, amen? And none of that would be possible without my faithful, faithful wife. You know, this lady's been tolerating me for 28 years. Everybody say bless her right now. Everybody just say bless her right? And uh, she, she often tells me she's illegal. Well, she hasn't said this in a long time, to be honest. But she's illegally married to about 200 pounds of me. You know, when we met in high school, you know, I was a basketball player. And I got to tell you, I was looking good. You know? And, so all, uh, all the single young men, raise your hand for me right now. All the single young men, raise your hand. Let me help you out. Don't get fat until after they say yes. All right? That's the key right there. Praise the Lord. <laughs> How many of you want to pray more for my wife right now at this moment? <laughs> All right, next slide, if you would, please. Uh, this is our life commitment in Belgium, where we live in the just outside of the city of Brussels. i got to tell you, we're one of those missionaries, and please don't get offended when I say this, we have no desire to ever live in the U.S. again. I'm American, and I'm proud to be American, and uh, those that know me know that I, I, I love America, but we have made a life commitment to live in Europe the rest of our lives. Now, I don't know what God's going to do with that. I just know where my commitment is at. You know, my children aren't, haven't gotten married. They haven't moved off yet. I know that as, things, as we get older, those things might change. But we have no ambition, no desire. In fact, we're, we're seeking right now, um, uh, with not residency, but nationality in the, in the continent of Europe uh, to become nationals there. And there are several legal reasons why that would benefit us. But we have a commitment. We have a commitment to do these three things right here. Everybody say, make disciples, train leaders and plant churches we're less than two percent christian in our nation uh europe as a whole with the statistics the statistics have actually come up a little bit it is about 3.4 christians throughout all of europe and so we believe the only way to change that is by planting churches how many of you guys believe that amen and so we ha- we're on a mission and i'm gonna share a little bit of this more with you in a moment but we're on a mission to plant more churches and to do that we need solid leaders somebody say amen so this is our commitment. Make disciples, train leaders, and plant churches. Next slide, if you would, please. Uh, this is, this is uh, an extension of how we train leaders, our Logos Bible School. We, need, we now have three divisions. Uh, the third division will be launching in September. But we have three ways that we're training people. We have our, our full-time Bible school, which is meets every Saturday for nine hours. You can take three uh, classes every semester, nine credits. And uh, we have planted over 20 churches through the leaders that have graduated from our Bible school. We've had over 200 graduates. Uh, we have another missionary that you might have met before, Mauricio Salazar. Uh, who actually gave the name the Logos Bible School and, and, and brought the school to where it's at. I've been serving as a director for the last several years. And we, this year, we started what's called the Online Institute. And so this is the Logos Institute where we have students. We actually have some students from the U.S. that are taking classes with us right now online. But uh, how many of you know that Pete's schedules are a challenge? And how many of you know that uh, geographics are a challenge? So we have people that live in Belgium, but they can't come to our school every Saturday. We started an online program. It's only in English right now. However, in September, we're starting a French version of that. And then we have what we call Saturday seminars. That's something we're starting next year, where you can come for four to five hours, one Saturday a month, and just be trained on a certain topic. No college credit, no certificate given at the end of it, just to be trained, because we have a huge commitment to train leaders. Somebody say amen. Amen. Next slide, if you would, please. Uh, Church planting. Well, from 2012 to 2015, we planted three new churches, and uh, they're going well. They're pushing on. We're thankful for that. But we're about to really speed that up. In 2016, we have two new church plants right now in the works, and uh, I'm going to show you one of them in a few moments. One of them is in the Ardennes, which is only seven churches in the entire region. Uh, And I, I don't know how many kilometers that is or miles, square miles that is, but it's probably about a half a million people that make up that region. It's right on the border of Luxembourg, and there's only seven churches, and three of those churches meet in a home. So we, we, we were very thankful to meet a Belgian couple that wanted training and mentoring, and they started in January a house church movement where they're meeting in multiple homes, and they'll be advancing to a place where they'll have the small groups meeting all over and then once a month having a celebration service, and people are coming to Jesus. Somebody say amen. <laughs> Next slide, if you would, please. Uh, that picture by the go back one for a moment Uh, that picture right there is actually our new church in the city of Ghent, uh in english is Ghent, and uh that is a led by a filipino couple and they're doing a great work we just credentialed them last july next slide if you would please uh this is our church now your team has been to our church your team went to a service and in fact when you guys came i think we might have only been one or two sundays a month at that moment Because we have a process of planting churches. And this picture is the very first service that we had. Now, we had already been meeting in a home for about six months before this. And this was our first Sunday service. And we had 18 people there. Next slide, if you would, please. This picture was a few weeks ago. We now have about 70 people in our church. And uh, just celebrated our two-year anniversary of that church. And we are seeing people come to Jesus. Guys, i got to tell you, I am built for the international community uh, I tell folks when I travel in the U.S., when I go to churches that are all white, I get scared. Amen. I am built for diversity. Okay, that's just where I'm at. My heart is full for the nations. And so we have 23 nations represented in our church. We have 16 languages in our church. I probably have said this before when I've been here, but how many of you know if you speak two languages, you're bilingual? How many of you guys know that, right? If you speak three languages, you're trilingual. Did you know that? If you speak one language, you're an American. Okay. or I said that a few weeks ago and somebody said and French you know the French don't uh, they don't they they stay to their own language as well we have people in our church that speak four and five languages I mean I'm telling you I have two masters degree I'm in seminary right now advancing my education I feel very ignorant next to these people uh, because of the languages that they speak but we're so thankful for all that God is doing. Next slide, if you would, please. Uh, this is our week, what we call Converge. This is part of our discipleship process. Last year, our theme was Resolute. But we take, we have a week where young people come in from all over Europe, and they spend a week with us where we disciple them in the Word, we train them for ministry, and we take them into the streets, and we take them into local churches, because we have a belief system. How many of you know we cannot forget the generation who's under us? How many of you guys realize that? And we have it. Was, let, me, let me stop right there for a moment. If it wasn't for, I didn't come from a Christian home. If it wasn't for the commitment to youth of the local church that I attended, I would not be who I am and where I'm at today. How many of you know, we cannot forget the younger generation. How many of you guys believe that? And we have a core belief. I spent 12 years as a youth pastor before going into missions. And we have a core belief that says this. If a young person sees God using them while they're young, they'll be addicted to serving Jesus the rest of their lives. Amen. And that's the week that we that we that we present. Now, the reason I'm showing this particular picture at this church is because some of you have actually helped us through our our e-letters that we send out uh, where we sponsor kids. We had, I think, 50 or 55 young people that were with us last year from all over Europe. And this year alone, this year alone, we had 12 people come from the UK last year. They went home, a flat out revival started, more than one church, from these young people. They just contacted me on Monday, after on Wednesday, after having their, our team meeting. And I wasn't there. And they said, Pastor, we're in trouble. And I said, what's the problem? They said, we have 32 people registered from the United Kingdom to come to Converge this year. And they said, <laughs> they said we don't have enough beds. We don't have enough vehicles. I said, that's a good problem. We're not going to tell them, don't come. Come on, folks. <laughs> the Lord will supply. <laughs> so I'm only bringing this up because some of you have helped sponsor these young people. Every year I have to raise about half of our budget outside of the, the financial commitment the young people make. And we've never turned away a young person because of finances. Somebody say amen. amen. So thank you so much for helping us for that. Next slide, if you would, please. Um, this, is our, this is our ministry team. And the reason I'm showing you this picture, I was looking at this the other day and I realized something. We have a few people not in this picture, but every person in that picture, they work with us. Every one of those people, and I didn't realize this until then. I'm telling you, I I might cry when I say this, but every one of those people I've laid hands on, we've ordained them. Every one of those people have attended our Bible college. Uh, All of them, there's one young man that's in this picture. Uh, He hasn't been credentialed yet, but he will be credentialed in July and uh, two of those people are attending our online Bible school. Folks, if you, if you expect for ministry to happen overnight, this is 14 years of our lives sitting in that picture where we have mentored and invested in people. And these are the future uh, uh, pastors of our network in Belgium. Can somebody say amen? amen? So we have about 12 ministers and six churches, and we have two new church plants on the way right now. Amen? Uh, our relational network is much bigger, but these are the churches that are directly under our responsibility. Next slide, if you would, please. Uh, Antwerp. ooh, I love this city. I've been talking about this city for eight years. We want to plant, we've been wanting to plant a church in this city for so long. And this is right here just a few weeks ago. Our, was this the first one, honey, that was officially uh, the group? Yes, this was our first official connect group in Antwerp. And we have nine people on that team, and they're all committed to help us plant a new church in Belgium. So if you were to come be a church planner with us, this is where you start, in the living room. Look at your neighbor and say, in the living room. Because we invest in people, not buildings. People invest in buildings, amen? So we start in the living room, and this is the newest church plant that's happening right now in Belgium. And this is all part of your effort in helping us. Thank you so much. Next slide, if you would, please. Uh, This is... Uh, The EdgeNet. The the EdgeNet is a new network that I just just started with a group of guys in Europe. Um, We are committed to three basic things. We're working together because we believe we're better together than we are apart. We have existing churches working together to provide three things. Training, to train new church planters. Mentoring, to mentor new church planters. Into resource financially and by sending teams. The EdgeNet is a network of church planters with an effort, one common vision to plant churches all over Northwest Europe. Right now, we've expanded that network into the United Kingdom, into the Netherlands, and also in Belgium. And I hope in a few years I can come and tell you that we have hundreds of churches that have been planted as this effort is happening. Next slide, if you would please. Uh, This is our Cafe 37. Now, I uh, got together with our young people a few. Months ago, uh, we have about 40% of our young pe- uh, of our people in our church are under the age of 30. Many of them are in university. I felt a need to provide ministry for them. And so I wanted to start like, a, if we say it in the States, a college and career ministry. I wanted them to have their own service where they preached, they led praise and worship. And I went and met with them and they all got excited, they all got happy. And I, then I said this, and I want to call it Millennial Church in crickets. They were all happy moments before that. And when I said the name Millennial Church, crickets. And I said, okay, what's the problem, guys? And one guy kind of raised his hand and he said, Pastor, do we have to call it Millennial Church? I realized something at that moment. I'm an old man. I realized I wasn't connecting with these guys and so in that conversation I asked them what's wrong with the word millennial they said wasn't there a movie some back to something back to something and somebody spoke up and said back to the future you know they're talking about this old movie I I don't think that movie's so old (laughs) because I'm old But at the end of that conversation, we went from having a college and career service to opening up a coffee house that's completely led by young people that are under the age of 30. One of those pictures was the opening night. We had 42 people show up to the first night. Uh, The second picture was just last Friday or two weeks ago on Friday. And so this is a, a great opportunity for us to reach out to young people that need a safe place to hear about Jesus. Come on, folks. It's not church. How many of you know they'll go, hear, they'll go drink some coffee and hear some live music and then receive the word? Amen? Much easier to get him to that place than it is to the local church. And this is one of our new ministry efforts. Next slide, if you would, please. Uh, and I think this is the last one. Uh, nope, nope, uh, two more. This is Croatia. Everybody say Croatia. Uh, we have a church there. It's a long story how we connected with them, but I just traveled there last month. I'm going to be going back there in July and this is a new church that's wanting to join our network. And so we're so thankful that God has connected us uh, with a church that's wanting to move forward and to plant new churches. So continue to pray for us as we reach out into that country. Next slide, if you would, please. Uh, Catalyst internship. This is something uh, that we're starting. We've ha- we've always had internships, but this is the first year that we're kind of organizing it and we're going to be advertising for people to come. Uh, but this is uh, our effort to continue discipling the next generation. If you're under the age of 30... From 18 to 30 years old, uh, you're invited to come. And I'm not just saying Americans, we're really targeting Europeans. Uh, and these are the things that we want to develop in them. We want to help. They'll come and serve for us three days a week over the summer. It's going to be a seven week program. And during that time, they'll develop a biblical worldview. They'll commit to uh, a life of serving others. They'll learn how to work in a a team atmosphere. Uh, they'll be, they'll, we'll be helping them find God's sweet spot. How many guys know what I'm saying when I say that? god's sweet spot for their life what god has called them to do and they will learn to value the local church i'm gonna pause right there for a moment thank god for youtube but you're not going to grow spiritually on youtube come on folks thank god for internet preachers but you're not going to have fellowship Doing that. Thank God for all of the media stuff that we have, but you're not going to be effective for the kingdom until you get involved in his process, and that is in the local church. Somebody, you guys should be having revival right now, high fiving each other, all right? Okay. And then we want to develop the hunger in them to not only stay locally, but to reach the world. We already have a girl coming from Mexico. Um, Mexicali, Mexico. She was with us for a few months. She's coming back. She's going to be our team leader for this. So get, pray for us this summer as I'm hanging out with a bunch of young people. Amen? So guys, thank you so much for helping us do what we do in Belgium. How many guys are encouraged by what God is doing in, the, in Europe? Let's give him a hand this morning. Now, if you guys can just give me about 30 minutes, I just want to encourage you this morning. And I know that this is the kickoff of uh, of a missions emphasis for the entire week and uh, i'm often asked to come share about missions i'm often asking, asked to come talk about intercultural ministry and the one thing and i got to be honest with you the one struggle that i have is that i i don't like being boxed in and and and, and nor do i feel that way here but i just don't want to bring a Typical missions message, message where we're, everyone's quoting the same scriptures that say go into all the world. And we will talk about that for a moment. But I really want to challenge you with something that I've discovered in the book of Acts about the early church. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 11. And uh, I promise this will uh, hopefully encourage you today. All right. Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 19. And uh, if I'm pausing a little bit, I'm really used to having translation in French as we're ministering, so I'm still getting my English flow going on, all right? Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 19, and uh, we'll read through verse 26. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen, I'm going to stop there for a moment, very important part of this message, everybody say Stephen, we're going to talk about him in a moment traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. Everybody say, they're only preaching to the Jews. Very important part to this. Verse 20. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent out, everybody say sent, they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. And when they came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all uh, that with purpose of, I'm sorry, encouraged them all that with the purpose of, of heart, they should continue with the Lord. Verse 24. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Now let's skip down to verse 25. Then Barnabas departed for, uh, for Tarsus to seek Saul. Verse 26. And when he had come, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that the whole year, everybody see an entire year, they stayed an entire year, the whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. Now this is the key phrase. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. I want them to resignate for a moment. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Let's pray. Father, we ask you, Lord, for you to speak today. Lord, we ask that you open our hearts, you open our minds. Lord, that we would see the world differently. Holy Ghost, we ask you to be the one who speaks today. And Father, I pray that you allow me to be your voice in these few moments we have together. In Jesus' name, amen. Do, yourself, do me a favor and just give your neighbor a high five and say the big guy's gonna to preach today. All right. I have been perplexed for years over this chapter i've been perplexed for years over the specific term that i just quoted twice in verse 26 and the disciples were first called christians in antioch the reason it perplexed me this is a huge statement considering that the history of the church started in acts chapter 2 and from chronological terms, we go all the way to Acts chapter 11, and then they're finally called Christians. How many of you know there's a lot of church history between Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 11? And in fact, just let me help you, can I be a Bible school teacher for a moment? There's approximately 12 to 13 years that the church had been in existence up to this point. And let me be fair to say this, the word Christian is only mentioned one other time in First in, in Peter. But it blows my mind that we, we, when we think of Christians, it's, we're, we're declaring, especially in this day, people who followed the way, people who believed in Jesus, people who believed that he was the Messiah, and the Messiah was no longer coming because he's already come. How many of you guys understand what I'm saying? And there was a great deal of miracles that happened before this moment. But it wasn't until this moment that they were called Christians. Now I hope to unfold today why that was. But before we do that, let me give you uh, a survey of the book of Acts from Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 10. And I'll go very quickly, I promise. In Acts chapter 1, we see that there is an instruction to stay in Jerusalem. We see that there's a promise. Everybody see a promise. That the Holy Spirit would come, and that the Holy Spirit was to come to give us power. Now, how many of you believe that the Holy Spirit has come? And how many believe that He does give us power? And how many believe that He empowers us to become witnesses? Amen? Now, folks, just let me be honest with you. And I know I'm speaking to a Pentecostal church today. But let's let me be really honest with you. If you've received the gift of the Holy Spirit, and you pray in tongues, and you speak in tongues, hallelujah. But let me tell you, there's more life than just that. Amen. There's more life than just you sitting down and praying in the Spirit. In fact, the book of James tells us that when we pray in the Spirit, we're building up our most holy faith. Do you realize that out of all nine gifts of the Spirit, eight of them were for the body of Christ. Only one was given to you to encourage you. So you have to do more than just pray in tongues, folks. That is a down payment of the promise of God. That was to empower you to go into all the world. Amen. So we get to Acts chapter two, and we see there's the birthing of the New Testament church. The New Testament church was born. 3,000 people were added to the church that day. And it says, and the Lord continued to add to the church every day after that. Isn't that powerful? But they still weren't called Christians. At that time, let's look at... I'll tell you, um, I'm going to go through Acts chapter 3 very quickly. In Acts chapter 3, we begin to see... Uh, healings. We begin to see, in fact, it began with the layman. In Acts chapter 4, we begin to see that there was persecution. However, there was also prayers for boldness and unity among the believers in Jesus. In Acts chapter 5, there were signs and wonders that were con- uh, conducted by the apostles. In Acts chapter 6, uh, the church had come to such a point of growth that the Hellenistic, the Greek uh, widows were not receiving their, their, their daily portions of food because they worked together as a community and therefore they had to appoint deacons we begin to see a structure that was coming into the church acts chapter 7 we see that stephen who is a great evangelist we'll come back to him in a moment a great evangelist and was preaching and god was using him to do signs and wonders he preached one message everybody say one message in fact it's longer than any other preaching message documented in the word of god he preached one message and they killed him Now, how many of you want to come up and preach your first message today? Come on. (laughs) But the difference with Stephen is that he realized, and I'm going to unfold this in a moment, he wanted the gospel to not only be for the Jew, but to be for everybody. And then we move on and we jump all the way to Acts chapter 9. And in Acts chapter 9, we see a very historic event. This is when Saul of Tarsus has his conversion with Jesus. And he commits his life to Jesus. By the way, he was there when Stephen was stoned in Acts chapter seven, and in fact, in Acts chapter eight, it said it pleased Paul that stoned. The next next chapter, we see that he is surrendering his life to Jesus, and then we start seeing more signs and wonders happening in Acts chapter ten. There's visions that are given to Cornelius, and he uh, that leads him to salvation. Then the Gentiles received the gift of the Holy Spirit. It was no longer just for the Jew. Now I want you to think about this for a moment. From Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter 10. It's 13 years of history. And we see signs, wonders, miracles, salvations, visions. The supernatural work of God. Yet they were not called Christians until Acts chapter 11 in the city of Antioch. Why is that? Well, to know why that is, I guess we need to see what was happening in Antioch. Now, how many of you guys would like to see that? Okay, we'll see you tomorrow at six (laughs) o'clock. All right. It all begins with this guy, Stephen. We first learn about Stephen in Acts chapter six. As I mentioned The the, the widows, the Greek widows, the Hellenists, they were not receiving their portions. And so the instructions were, as people began to complain, the instructions were from the apostles. The apostles are saying, man, we got to commit ourselves to study of the word. We got to commit ourselves to to finding God. The, The church is brand new. So here's what you need to do you need to go choose seven men among you who are full of the Holy Ghost, who are of good reputation that can take care of these needs. They were deacons, not pastors, not elders, not they were deacons serving. Stephen was one of those guys. That's when we first hear about Stephen. And let me tell you what happened. I believe God used that to prick the heart of Stephen because now he's having to cross cultural lines. Now he's having to cross barriers that have been built up in society. He had to be confronted with people who were not like him. How many of you know that's a lot about missions? how many of you know that tells us a lot about missions right there and so the lord began to use him in a powerful powerful way we see that that uh, he, he performed miracles we see that he was very evangelistic people were coming to the lord because of his efforts but as we get to he, he had a firm belief that that salvation through jesus was not only for the jews but also the gentiles And again, if you look at, read Acts chapter 7, you'll see his entire sermon that he's preaching. And in fact, he never preaches salvation. But what he does say is that God doesn't only dwell in the temple. He dwells among us. He he also talks about how God uh, made Joseph go through everything that he went through. But God was still with him. And so people got upset because of the ministry that he was doing, the activity that God was allowing him to do to reach people, and they accused him of cursing God, they accused him of cursing the temple, and they accused him of cursing the law. And that's why he was stoned. Well, that brings us to Acts chapter 11. Because as we read in verse 19, it says, And those who were scattered, after the persecution that arose over Stephen, they started traveling. And they went to Phoenicia, and they went to Cyprus, and they went to Antioch. All right. So there's four things that I see in the... Antioch Church that makes me understand why they were called Christians. Now, how many of you want to be called a Christian? Come on, folks. Some of you are very honest because you're not raising your hand. How many of you want to be called Christians? All right. Four things that I see here. Listen to this. First of all, the gospel was available to everyone. As I just read, listen. Now, those who were scattered after the persecution, that arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But in verse 20, but, but some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. Everybody say, the gospel's for everyone. This is what's happening in Antioch. People are running for their lives. And they're running because of the persecution that's coming on the believers. They come into Antioch, and they don't just come in seeking refuge. They're coming in with a message of the Lord Jesus. And nations, multiple languages, are beginning to fall into this city of Antioch. And they begin to preach to everyone, and revival happens. Now, how many of you guys want revival to happen? Now, folks, i got to be honest, if you really want that, you got to know what that is. Revival is not lost people coming to Jesus. Revival is when the church wakes up and says, we need Jesus more than anything. And so as we see this move of God, the city began to become transformed because it wasn't only the Jews that were selected, but everyone began to follow the way of Jesus. Everyone began to respond and word got so, uh, it was such a good movement that word went all the way to Jerusalem to the apostles. And the apostles said, and this comes to my second point, the apostles said, we got to send somebody. We got to find out if this is true. Now, if this is in today's culture, we would just look on the internet, right? You look up Facebook. By the way, just let me stop for a moment. How many of you guys have Facebook? All right, I got to tell you, folks, be careful with Facebook. Because if you're hiding from your pastor and you're somewhere you shouldn't be, he's going to find out. (laughs) Just going to leave that there. All right. (laughs) Praise the Lord. (laughs) So, we find in point number two in this situation... That we begin to see missionaries or workers being sent. If you look at verse uh, 22, it says, And the news came, uh, uh, the news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent out Barnabas. Everybody say sent. They sent out Barnabas as far as Antioch. And when he came, he had seen the grace of God. And he was glad and encouraged them all with this with the purpose of heart that they should continue in the Lord, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Now I want to look at verse twenty-four for a moment. First of all, we just saw the verse before that that he was sent. How many of you know how many of you know that when we're part of God's mission? Missions is what we do uh missions is what we do individually to accomplish God's work how many guys believe that but there is one mission for God there is one mission for God in Tallahassee there's one mission of God in Brussels Belgium there's one mission of God in Israel and that's that the Lord Jesus Christ would be lifted up so that people can come to him how many guys believe that our missions plural are the individual mission that we have to make that happen how many guys believe that Now, here's what's interesting. In verse 24, it talks about the character of Barnabas. Yes, he was sent. But in verse 24, it says, For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Why would that have to be declared? Well, let me tell you why. Remember, there was great controversy that that salvation through Jesus was not only for the Jew. And the fact that it points out the character of Barnabas, Barnabas is encouraging them. He's encouraging them, continue the way you are. You found the, the right way. Just continue growing in the Lord. And it says that he was a man full of the spirit. He was of good nature because he wanted them to experience what he had already experienced. Right. And let me tell you what missions is, folks. Let me tell you what the mission of God is. When you have salvation and you've come to the saving knowledge of Jesus and all of your life has changed and you've experienced the goodness of God and you've experienced the blessings of God, uh, when you have a desire to make sure that other people have the same opportunity to receive the life-changing message that you've experienced, that's when mission meets your life. And I'm so thankful for those. Go ahead and give the Lord a hand for that. I'm so thankful for those in my life who understood that mission. Because folks, I gotta tell you, I was, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't grow up going to church every Sunday. I didn't know what church was. But somebody, God put somebody in my life that influenced me. There was a family, my best friend's family, good, strong, Christian believers. My grandmother sent me to, they they left me at home. They they stayed home, but they sent me on a bus to church. Those bus drivers made sure that I understood who Jesus was. I am the result today of people who had experienced God for themselves and they decided we need to share it with other people. And I'm so thankful for that in my life today. So as we see this... As we see this, this church in Antioch, we, we see that the gospel was available for everyone, every race, every color, every creed. And we see that, that the New Testament church began to send people. Everybody say send. send. Begin to send people to do missions work. Now, number three, they were committed long-term. Everybody say long-term. long-term. They didn't just go on a short little mission trip. They didn't just go, and nothing against short mission trips. That's how I got involved in missions. But they weren't just satisfying the little itch they had to say, I made a difference. There was a full-fledged commitment that came from here. Look at verse 25. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. Remember that guy Saul, Acts chapter 9, persecuting anyone who believed in Jesus? He had a radical transformation. He's been in the faith about 10 years at this point. And now he's going uh, to find Saul so that together they can go back to Antioch. And when they had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was for the whole year. Everybody see an entire year. These guys were together for an entire year. Now remember, they were sent by the apostles in Jerusalem. Let me tell you what that means. They were financed. Their needs were taken care of because they were on a mission. And as we see here, he goes and gets Saul of Tarsus. They assembled together for a year, and they brought these guys to maturity. And let me tell you what was happening. They weren't only making disciples, but they were training leaders so that they can depart and go to the next place to do the same thing. Now, the fourth thing, and this is the thing that really blows my mind. The church in Antioch was new. Relatively, the church is only 13 years old to begin with. By this point, it's 14 years old towards the end of of, of Acts chapter 11. We didn't read this this morning, but I'm going to read it to you in a moment. But watch how that baby church, watch how it responds to the needs that they hear about. Everybody say missions. Listen, verse 29. Then the disciples, each according to his own ability, determined to send relief to the brethren in Judea. This this they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Now let me tell you what was going on. If you look at verse 27 and 28, there was prophetic words coming. And one of those prophetic words said this, There is a worldwide famine. Everybody say worldwide. worldwide. There was a worldwide famine coming. And these new believers in Antioch, received this word and they began to prepare everybody say prepare Prepare. and they began to send relief finances supplies to the brethren that were in judea now this is what blows me away it blows me away first of all that this is a new church and even though they're a new church even though they're new believers they already have compassion and missions on the inside of them and so we see the humanitarian work was evident in the antioch church now, here's what really blows my mind. The, in verse 28, it says that it was a worldwide famine. It was a global famine. Now, you know what that means? That means those in Antioch, they were going to be affected as well. How many of you guys see that? Now, how many of you ever heard somebody say, I don't understand why we send missionaries when we got a mission field right here in America? It got quiet. How many guys ever heard that? I don't understand why we're planting other churches when Tallahassee, Florida needs to have a church plant right here. How many guys ever heard that? I don't understand why we're so involved in missions when we got financial issues of our own. But you see here in the book, in, in, in the church of Antioch, even though they were going to be affected by the famine as well, they began to give supply to help their brothers in other cities. And folks, that's what missions is. I'm gonna tell you something. Our church last year, we probably gave between four, maybe four or four or five thousand dollars in missions last year. Now that doesn't sound like a lot, but you gotta know my church. Because our budget was only about thirty thousand dollars last year. And we gave to other people. We gave out, we we rescued churches in our network because they didn't have the finances to take care of their needs. We sent money to Peru. We sent money to the Philippines. We sent money to other regions because there's two things that are in the DNA of every church that we're going to plant. From the very beginning, that church he saw in the living room in Antwerp, there's two things that's going to be in the DNA right from the beginning, and we don't apologize for it. Number one, we support missions. We have a percentage of every budget. My wife writes a sheet up every week when the finance team gets together and they divide each category. There's a percentage that goes to missions. We have another percentage that goes to churches and ministries within Belgium. We give 15% right off the bat. We give to other people who need to know Jesus. Amen? Missions is in the big... I, it doesn't make sense. I know it doesn't make sense. I'm a missionary. I have to be supported by the United States to be able to live in, in Belgium. Uh, that's the only way the government allows me to live there, so I don't take jobs from them. I know it doesn't make sense to you that we would give to missions, that our church would give to missions, but it's the heart of God. How many guys believe that? Amen? And number two, we tell every church, you will eventually plant a new church. Now, pastor, this might interest you, all right? So we, that first year and a half of our church, we were, we were about, you know, 40, 45 people that considered our church home. By the way, that's a big church in Belgium, okay? 40, 45 people considered our church home, and uh, we had about 30 on an average attendance in our church. Last summer, I don't know, something, <laughs> can, did, you, did you realize you can actually grow over the summer? Over the summer, we did something called Summer Fun. Every week we had a different activity that was going on. And and, and people started coming to the church. And and it was amazing because Belgians started coming to the church. People were getting saved over the summer. And when we came back into September, because that's the end of our summer, all of a sudden we had 70 people in our church. And so I was, I I travel and I I train church planters and I was at an event and I was one of the trainers and, and one of the other trainers got up and I just met him and he said, uh, we tell every church that we plant and they had five campuses. They said, every church that we plant, we tell them you'll eventually plant a church in three years. Well, I, 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 we were two years old and I'm thinking we're approaching that three year mark. We're not ready to plant a church. So I thought. We went to lunch, and I said, "So listen, I want to ask you, um, how large is your home campus? You know, the, the main campus where you plant all these churches. How large is that?" And he looked at me, and he said, "I mean, he didn't stop a moment. He said about ninety people." We were eating at Subway because that's where my church is at. Those of you who don't know, we have a, we meet in a Subway restaurant. Our church. I dropped the sandwich. I said, "Could you say that again?" He said, "We we have about ninety people," and I said, "You've planted five churches." And he began to share his vision with me. I, my whole mind changed, folks. Let me tell you something. Especially in America, we got to stop thinking about numbers. Amen. And we got to start thinking about health. And we got to start thinking about discipleship. And I realized my church might only be 70 members, but we're a healthy 70. Our church might be only 70 members, but it only took 12 to change the world. My church might only be 70 members, but we can rock the city of Brussels. Come on, folks. And so we determined at that moment, the missions of God was much bigger than our limitations that we put on ourselves. And we determined at that moment, we're going to plant more churches. And by the grace of God, by the end of 2016, we will have two new churches planted and we'll be revitalizing one of our existing churches. We don't have the resources. We don't have the finances, but we've got the Holy Ghost. Come on, folks. I'm not worried about the terrorist attacks. I'm not worried about the famine that we might face. All I know is we got a word from God. And when he speaks, he is more than capable. He is more than able. And he is more than willing to make it happen. He just needs a man who's willing to say, Lord, here am I. Send me. With all of our difficulties, with all of our challenges, when you limit God, you've limited yourself. But when you realize, according to Romans chapter 8, verse 31, when God is for you, who can be against you? When God is for you, who can be against you? I'm going to tell you why. My theme verse of my life, Romans eight 37. I'm not a conqueror, folks. I'm more than a conqueror. Amen. I'm not a conqueror because Jesus was the conqueror. Do you realize that's what that verse says? That's it. I'm here to tell you, and I'm going to close with this verse, but I'm here to tell you tonight, this morning, I'm sorry. I'm here to tell you this morning. It's nighttime where I live. I'm here to tell you this morning that when you're willing and you're able, do you realize that Isaiah chapter 6 verse 8 says that the Lord was seeking someone to speak for him he was seeking someone who shall i send and that same voice is crying out today who will partner with me because let me tell you something your life doesn't belong to you this church doesn't belong to you it all belongs to god and life is about stewardship and how are you going to steward what God has given you? That's Let me tell you how you do it. We, we gave a young man in our church one of our vehicles while we're here in Belgium. And he's, he's 21, 22 years old. He, he's one of the, you know, our, our young men that we're mentoring, we raising up. And I made him raise his hand. He's from Ukraine, uh, Ukraine. And I made him raise his hand and I said, Tim, say this with me. And he raised his hand and I said, Tim, say this. I will not wreck Pastor Bill's car. I will not leave Belgium. I will pay all the tickets that I receive. I will have the car back, washed, waxed, cleaned, vacuumed, and if possible with new tires. Because even though, listen to me, even though he had authority over the car, because I gave it to him, I gave him the keys, even though he has authority, he doesn't have ownership. Come on, folks. You may have authority over what you do and how you do it. But if you are not doing what the owner has asked you to do, then you are not stewarding what's been given to you. And mission and the mission of God is about stewarding what God has given you. So here's what I want to tell you. My life verse, Romans 8 verse 37 says this. For we are more than conquerors. In Christ Jesus. He goes on to say, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, or depth, or any created thing can separate us from the love of God. I'm here to tell you today, you can do what God's called you to do. You can be what God's called you to be, because you're not a conqueror, you're more than a conqueror. Now you would say, How how is that? How am I more than a conqueror? Well, let me tell you something. Paul the Apostle said this, and he described, and I think if we were to be conquerors, that's great, but he declared we would be more than conquerors. Now, every time my pastor quoted Romans 8, he always told the same story. My pastor pastored the same church for 41 years. By the way, it started with seven people. Church got up to about 5,000. In his last year of pastoring, I think they gave $1.3 million to missions. 14 families were sent out of the church into the full-time mission field. Don't tell me that God can't do it. Folks, if if you're wanting an instant success, you're never going to get it. you got to be in it for the long haul. Come on, folks. How many of you guys are with me? Every time he quoted Romans 8.37, here's what he said. He said, when I work all week, when I work my job, at the end of the week, they give me my salary. That salary declares that I'm a conqueror. That salary declares that I've conquered the task that was given to me. But he would say, when I go home and I give my wife, Marianne, my paycheck, she's more than a conqueror. Now, we would laugh about that. But it wasn't until a few years later I realized what Pastor was saying. You see, here's what happened. And here's what I want to encourage you with. You can do all that God's called you to do. You can be all that he's called you to be. You can accomplish the mission that he's put in your life. And let me tell you why. He conquered so that you could be more than a conqueror. You see, Jesus died on a cross. Nails in his hands. Nails in his feet. A spear was rammed into his side. A crown of thorns was placed on his head. The Bible says he had to go to hell to testify to who he was. He collected his own blood, laid it at the altar of God to pay for our sins. But here's what I'm going to tell you. 3 days later, he got up out of that grave and he conquered death. And he conquered sickness, and he conquered sin, and he conquered all of the enemies that would come against us. He paid a price Price that you couldn't pay so here's what I want you to know today you're more than a conqueror because you don't have to die on that cross you don't have to have the crown of thorns placed on your head nails in your hands nails in your feet you don't have to testify to hell you simply receive the gift of God what has been given to you and I'm here to tell you today CHC you are more than conquerors. Can accomplish the mission that God has called you to do. Amen. How many of you guys believe that today? Amen. Yeah. God's heart is for the world. That's right. Starting in Tallahassee. That's right. I'm writing a paper in seminary right now and I stole the title from a guy that I really respect. It's called The Simultaneous Principle. And it means it's not one or the other, it's both. It's not local ministry only. It's also world ministry. You don't give up one without the other. God has empowered you to do it. How many guys believe that today? Amen. How does He done it? Well, you got to know that the gospel is for everybody. You got to be willing to send those that are willing to go. There has to be a commitment, point number three in my message, to make disciples and train leaders so they can continue to do it themselves. And number four, we have to be committed to humanitarian efforts regardless of our current situation. How many you guys believe that today? Amen. Can I ask you just to close your eyes and bow your heads? I'm probably five minutes over time today, but I just want to do one thing this morning. Just, I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes for a moment. Because I never want to leave a place without giving this opportunity folks i'm telling you as i shared earlier i didn't grow up in a christian home didn't grow up in an atmosphere like this but somebody introduced me to jesus and another person told me if i would commit my life to serving others god would use me to make a difference before you ever get involved in god's plan you have to know him I'm going to ask you today, do you know him? He changed my life. He can change yours. He gave me purpose. He can give you purpose. So many people are here today and so many people come into the atmosphere of God and they feel that he's so far away, but I'm here to tell you, he's as close to you as the breath that comes out of your mouth. And I believe that God has called some of you by divine appointment today to be at this place, to hear his word, to be encouraged that life can change. And so this morning before you ever get involved in God's mission you have to know who he is and I'm just curious if you're here today are there those here that would say I don't know Jesus I haven't made a commitment to him or maybe you would say I've committed to Jesus in days past but I'm not living for him today but I feel this pull in my heart that says life needs to change right now here's what I want to do I'm going to pray a prayer in just a moment and if you're here today and no one's looking this is between you and God you would say I need to give my life to Jesus The Bible tells us that all we have to do Is confess with our mouth and believe in our heart That he's the only way Then we'll be saved If that's you this morning I want to pray for you So I'm going to count to three If you would say preacher please pray for me I need to give my life to Jesus If that's you this morning I just want you to lift your hand Are you ready? I see that hand I see that hand in the back One, two, three I see that hand Three hands have been lifted Anybody else this morning? Four hands have been lifted. Anybody else this morning? Say, Pastor, pray for me. There's four people that have responded. Five people have responded. Anybody else would say, pray for me this morning? He will change your life, I promise you. Six hands have been lifted this morning. Seven hands have been lifted this morning. Anybody else would say, pray for me? Pray for me. I want everybody in the church, everybody can hear my voice today. I want you to say this with me, everybody. Say, Jesus, today, I surrender my life. I'm tired of living by myself. I'm tired of doing it alone. Today, I acknowledge that you're the only way, that you're the only truth, that you're the only life. Today, I believe you are the Son of God, the only one who can change my life. I give it all to you. Use me as you will. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand this morning, amen. Now...
0: Our prayer is that God will take this word and plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul, Father. We pray for your great wisdom to infiltrate this listener, draw them to you, and take them gently down the road to their next destination in life. And if you're in need of a home church, we invite you to join us at Christian Heritage Church on Shera Road in Tallahassee, Florida